Our third scripture lesson comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here with you all this morning. Thank you, Reverend Malamry. Uh, we really are blessed to be here with you all on, on such a special Sunday uh, here at Central. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in them. A little over a year ago, I was invited by a pastor in Costa Rica to come and to visit his church. Now, he's in an area that we can't really take teams to to work, but we'd been helping them out in some other ways uh, as they built a new sanctuary there. He wanted me to come and, and to see how it had turned out. So I left early on a Saturday morning, and after driving for about five hours up and over and around Costa Rica's central mountain range, and then zigzagging down a dirt road down the side of a mountain into a a little valley, the road ended. So uh, I left the truck there, and I started walking. Three and a half hours later, I had made it to Sharabata. From the point where I had left the truck and started walking, I was inside the Quebecer Indian Reservation. There are anywhere between nine and 12,000 Quebecer Indians that live on that reservation. They still primarily speak the Quebecer language, and they're almost entirely cut off from the rest of Costa Rican society. Pastor Honorio, who had invited me to come, is a Quebecer Indian. He's been through the Methodist Seminary in San Jose, and now he has three little Quebecer Methodist churches there on the reservation. And I had been there a few years before that uh, to to spend a few days getting to know Honorio and his family and, and learn more about the work that they're doing there. And that's when he had shared with me the need for a new church for a sanctuary at a new church that they were planting. So Costa Rica Mission Projects had been sending them money, money for gasoline for their chainsaws so that they could cut down trees, which they would then cut into planks, which would then become the walls for this new church, and money for them to buy sheets of tin, which they carried one sheet at a time, on their backs up that same trail that I had just hiked up that would become the roof of this new church. The sanctuary was finished now, and they had planned a worship service for this Saturday afternoon so that I could be there and be a part of it. After resting for a little while that afternoon, around 5.30, I heard a generator crank up, and a couple of little light bulbs popped on. Sure enough, not long after that, Families started showing up for worship. Now, I don't use the word miracle lightly, but I do believe that when something happens that we cannot explain, and we can clearly see God's hand in it, 
I believe that it's fair to name it as such. And in those terms, I experienced a miracle during that worship service. I grew up at First United Methodist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And it's the big, old, traditional, downtown church there in Rocky Mount. Lots of oriental rugs and pipe organs and that sort of thing. I grew up in a middle-class family in eastern North Carolina with all of the opportunities and the privileges that come along with that. I got to go to college. Later, I got to go to graduate school. That's where I'm from. And here I am in the middle of the jungle, in the middle of an Indian reservation, in the middle of Central America, in a 15 by 30 foot sanctuary with wooden walls, a tin roof, a dirt floor, sitting on a tree trunk, surrounded by Quebecer Indians, reading the Bible in Quebecer, singing songs in Quebecer, reciting Bible verses from memory in Quebecer. I could not have been any farther removed from everything that was church for me growing up. And yet, in spite of all of that, I knew that I belonged there. And not in the romantic, honey, we're going to sell everything we own and we're moving on to that Indian reservation because we belong there kind of way, but something different, something deeper than that. In the same way that when you all send teens to work with us in Costa Rica, and we're worshiping together, and we're working together, and we're fellowshipping together. They belong there. In the same way that when we bring mission teams from Costa Rica to the United States to do hurricane relief after Katrina and tornado relief in Alabama and inner city work in Kansas City and Orlando, those teams belong here too. How is that possible? I believe it comes back to those verses that we read just a minute ago. Through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, we are bound not only to him as he abides in us and we abide in him, but we are also bound to one another. That's what makes us church. That's what makes us family. I remember a professor that we had in seminary saying one day that what God did at Babel, God undid with Jesus on the cross, calling all of his children back to him. He abides in us, and we abide in him, and that's real. And by virtue of there only being one Christ, we are also bound to one another. And we can't opt out of that. We don't get to choose whether or not to make room in our hearts for Jesus to make his home there once we participate in that sacrament, in Holy Communion. And we don't get to choose whether or not to be made a part of this family as a result. We're stuck with one another, whether we like it or not. I remember translating a sermon for a pastor who had come to Costa Rica with a team. He told the story of a guy who fell asleep on an airplane. And at some point during the flight, a flight attendant woke him up and asked him if he wanted something to eat. He looked up at her and said, well, what are my choices? She looked at him and said, um, yes or no. <laughs> this 
church business is kind of a package deal. We don't get to choose whether or not we are bound to one another and all of the challenges and the responsibilities and the joys and the blessings that come along with that. So when I sit in a tiny little wooden sanctuary in Costa Rica or right here in Florence, South Carolina, I belong there because this place and that place are both God's house. And as his children, we're family and I'm at home. I think that that really helps to make sense out of what we do through missions. When we understand the way that through Christ's body and blood, we are bound to him and to one another and made family. It means that we serve one another and are served by one another, not because we go out to fix someone else's problems, but because we're family. That's just what family does. When we have a need, who do we turn to? Who are the first ones that we call? That's just what family is. Not because someone is poorer or richer or North American or Costa Rican or Quebecer. If we really let Christ do what he hung on that cross to do, none of those words even mean anything. We are simply his. All of us. Equally. That's what that meal communion does to us. In the Gospel of John, we also read about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And I think that that story sheds even more light on what it means for us to be part of this family and what those relationships are supposed to look like. Most of the time when we hear that story preached or or taught about, what we hear about is this amazing act of humility on Jesus' part. Being willing to get down on his hands and knees and scrub the dirty, dirty feet of the disciples. And we should hear about that. I mean, this is God in flesh we're talking about here, scrubbing the feet of his followers. But there's another side to that story that I think doesn't always get the attention that it deserves. The disciples allowed for their feet to be washed. There was some resistance at first, but eventually they said okay. How many of you all have heard someone after a mission trip or a service opportunity say something like, I went to Costa Rica or to Africa or to the soup kitchen to serve and to give, and the people there just gave me so much more than I gave them? We hear that all the time. Well, to those of you who have said or felt that before, congratulations. You're a disciple and you had your feet washed. You guess the disciples' lives were ever the same after that? There's no way. Is it a story about humility? Absolutely. It is about Jesus humbling himself to the point of washing the disciples' feet. But it's just as much about the disciples humbling themselves to the point of recognizing they needed for their feet to be washed. So once we understand what happens to us as a result of that holiest of transactions, communion, the Lord's Supper. And once we understand what Jesus was teaching us by shedding all of the rights and the privileges that were his to claim, and instead choosing to serve the people around him, and once we understand what it means for the disciples to say, I need for my feet to be washed, 
then, then the table for the church to go out into the world in mission has been set. Some of Jesus' last words to the disciples were, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My guess is he was choosing his words pretty carefully at this point. And that's what he leaves them with. To be the church, you will be. You must be present anywhere that there is need, even to the ends of the earth. Because I abide in you, and you abide in me. We try to make sure that each week, the teams that come to Costa Rica to work with us have the opportunity to celebrate communion during a worship service while we're there. We even have a couple of churches who come to work with us every year who come to Costa Rica prepared to share communion every morning as part of their morning devotions with the group and with the Costa Ricans who work alongside us there. And I can tell you that those are some of the weeks that we most look forward to all year long. And I love it when I get emails from people, usually after the first Sunday of the month, after they've gotten back from their mission trip, and they'll tell me that they just had communion at church. And they just couldn't help feeling like Ugo and Pedro and Yolanda and the rest of them were right there next to them at the altar rail. They were. So the next time you all celebrate communion, celebrate communion. Celebrate knowing that there is a multitude of believers around the world who don't just believe the things that you believe, who don't just sing songs that you recognize, but who abide in the very same Savior that you abide in. Celebrate the fact that God has miraculously made us into a family in spite of languages, cultures, Borders and histories, all of the things in this world that try so hard to keep us separated from one another, celebrate the fact that all of those things are powerless against Christ on a cross, calling us all to Him and making us church. Amen.